This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Do you say and do things when drinking that you regret the next day? Is alcohol a problem for you or someone you really care about? Over the next hour, we'll find out how people just like you and me found sobriety in AA through sharing their experience, strength and hope. Welcome to AA Live, brought to you by Alcoholics Anonymous. Welcome to the AA Live radio show. Great to have you here this evening with us. This is the show that explores the uh, ideas behind a way of recovery through the Alcoholics Anonymous program. Great to have you with us this evening. Thank you for being out there and listening. I am going to start off our evening tonight with the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. Here we come. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Now that's something we say at the beginning of our meetings uh, to open them up, um, give us a bit of strength. I'm going to start also with the AA preamble tonight. So Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution, does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. It is lovely to have you there this evening. I'd just like to also put in there that anything you hear this evening on this show is our opinion. It's not that necessarily of Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole. We're sitting here and uh, telling you about what we think. And normally I would read the daily reflection for the day, being the 4th of April. But I have actually just opened the book and I'm going to read one today, which strangely was for yesterday, April the 3rd. And it's called Accepting Our Humanness. We finally saw that the inventory should be ours, not the other man's. So we admitted our wrongs honestly and became willing to set these matters straight. That's from As Bill Sees It on page 222. Why is it that the alcoholic is so unwilling to accept responsibility? I used to drink because of the things that other people did to me. Once I came to AA, I was told to look at where I had been wrong. What did I have to do with all these different matters? When I simply accepted that I had a part in them, I was able to put it on paper and see it for what it was, humanness. I am not expected to be perfect. I have made errors before and I will make them again. To be honest about them allows me to accept them and myself and those with whom I had the differences. From there, recovery is just a short distance ahead. Now that resonated with me which is why I uh, wanted to read it. I opened it up and there it was. And I thought, humanness, that is what we are all about. It's, uh, it's 
not easy being a human as it is, but being an alcoholic human, uh, the disease of alcoholism flowing through your veins that want to drink all the time, it does make it a little bit more difficult. So with Alcoholics Anonymous, that is a service which involves recovering alcoholics supporting other alcoholics who want to stop drinking. So when you come into a meeting or you you might look up the 12-step program, Alcoholics Anonymous 12-step program online, uh, it's literally 12 steps of recovery and there are 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's based purely on volunteers within the fellowship. There is no cost to belong. You can walk in, have a free coffee, have a biscuit, and listen to some people, and maybe you will hear similarities with your own story. Uh, You might recognize yourself and, and what other people are talking about. That's what it's about. There are lots of meetings across the country, Uh, We have a lot of meetings here as well. Um, You just have to jump onto aa.org.nz. Now tonight I have got a wonderful story uh, from a person in the fellowship, Sean. That's going to be coming up soon. But first I'm going to put on a little bit of music. This is one chosen by a young co-star of mine in the studio this evening. He doesn't want his voice recorded, but he has chosen a couple of songs. This first one from Mika. I want to talk to you. The last time we talked, Mr. Smith, you reduced me to tears. I promise you it won't happen again. Do I attract you? Do I repulse you with my queasy smile? Am I too dirty? Am I too flirty? Do I like what you like? Yeah, I could be wholesome. I could be loathsome. Guess I'm a little bit shy. Why don't you like me? you like me without making me try? I try to be like Grace Kelly, mm-hmm. but all her looks were too sad. So I tried a little Freddy. Mm-hmm. I've got an entity in
I do like that song. It's got a good little beat to it, that one. You are listening to the AA Live Show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM. Now today, before we get to uh, Sean's story, I just would like to read a story out of the big book. Now the big book is uh, the book that we follow that helps us through the steps. It, um tells us a little bit of other people's journeys and I opened up the book to page 382 the other day and I wanted to you know help myself through my stage of recovery and I read this story and I thought yes this will be a good one for the radio show tonight it's called me an alcoholic alcohol's ringer squeezed this storyteller but he escaped quite whole When I try to reconstruct what my life was like before, I see a coin with two faces. One, the side I turned to myself and the world was respectable, even in some ways distinguished. I was father, husband, taxpayer, homeowner. I was clubman, athlete, artist, musician, author, editor, aircraft pilot and world traveller. I was listed in Who's Who in America as an American who, by distinguished achievement, had arrived. The other side of the coin was sinister, baffling. I was inwardly unhappy most of the time. There would be times when the life of respectability and achievement seemed insufferably dull. I had to break out. This I would do by going completely bohemian for a night, getting drunk and rolling home with the dawn. Next day, remorse would be on me like a tiger. I'd claw my way back to respectability and stay there, until the inevitable next time. The insidiousness of alcoholism is an appalling thing. In all the 25 years of my drinking, there were only a few occasions when I took a morning drink. My binges were one-night stands only, once or twice during my early drinking. I carried it over into the second day, And only once that I can remember did it continue into the third. I was never drunk on the job, never missed a day's work, was seldom rendered totally ineffective by a hangover, and kept my liquor expenses well within my adequate budget. I continued to advance in my chosen field. How could such a man possibly be called an alcoholic? Whatever the root of my unhappiness might turn out to be, I thought... It could not possibly be booze. Of course I drank. Everybody did in the set which I regarded as the apex of civilization. My wife loved to drink and we tied on many a night in the name of marital, marital, marital bliss. Sorry, My associates and all the wits and literally, literary lights I so much admired also drank. Evening drinks were as standard as morning coffee and I suppose my average daily consumption ran a little more or less than a pint. Even on my rare at first binge nights, it never ran much more over a quarter. How easy it was in the beginning to forget that those binges ever happened. After a day or two of grovelling remorse, I'd come up with an explanation. Oh, the nervous tension had piled up and just had to spill over. Or my physical plant had got a little run run down and the stuff rushed right to my head. 
or I got to talking and forgot how many I was taking in and it just hit me. Always we'd emerge with a new formula for avoiding future trouble. You've got to space your drinks and take plenty of water in between or, or coat the stomach with a little olive oil or, or drink anything but those darn martinis. Have something to eat before you start. Weeks would go by without further trouble and I'd be assured I'd at last hit on the right formula. The binge had been just one of those things. After a month, it seemed unlikely that it happened. Intervals between binges were eight months. My growing inward unhappiness was a very real thing, however, and I knew that something would have to be done about it. A friend had found help in psychoanalysis. After a particularly ugly one-nighter, my wife suggested I try it, and I agreed. Educated child of the scientific age that I was, I had complete faith in the science of the mind. It would be a sure cure and also an adventure. How exciting to learn the inward mysteries that govern the behaviour of people. How wonderful to know, at last, all about myself. And to cut a long story short, I spent seven years and $10,000 on my psychiatric adventure and emerged in worse condition than ever. To be sure, I learned many fascinating things and many things that were to pr prove helpful later. I learned what a devastating effect it can have on a child to coddle him and build him up and then turn and beat him savagely, as had happened to me. Meanwhile, I was getting worse, both as regards my inward misery and my drinking. My daily alcoholic consumption remained about the same through all of this, with perhaps a slight increase, and my binges remained one-nighters, but they were occurring with f alarming frequency. In seven years, the intervals between them decreased from eight months to ten days, and they were growing uglier. One night I had barely made my downtown club. If I'd had to go another 50 feet, I'd have collapsed in the gutter. On another occasion, I arrived home covered with blood. I deliberately smashed a window. With all this, it was becoming increasingly hard to maintain my front of distinction and respectability to the world. My personality was stretched almost to splitting in the effort. Schizophrenia stared me in the face, and one night I was in a suicidal despair. My professional life looked fine on the surface. I was now head of a publishing venture in which nearly a million dollars had been invested. Remembering, folks, that this was written way back in the 1930s. My opinions were quoted in Time and Newsweek, along with the pictures. I addressed the public by radio and TV. It was a fantastic structure, built on a crumbling foundation. It was tottering, and it had to fall. It did. After my last binge, I came home and smashed my dining room furniture to splinters, kicked out six windows and two balustrades. When I woke up sober, my handiwork confronted me. It is impossible for me to reproduce my despair. I'd have absolute faith in science and only in science. Knowledge is power, I'd always been taught. Now I had to face up to the fact that knowledge of this sort applied to my individual case and was not power. Science could take my mind apart expertly, but it couldn't seem to put it together again. I crawled back to my analyst, 
not so much because I had faith in him, but because I had nowhere else to turn. After talking with him for a time, I heard myself saying, well, Doc, I, I think I'm an alcoholic. And he said, yes, you are. Well, then why in God's name haven't you told me so during all these years, I said. Well, two reasons, he said. First, I couldn't be sure. The line between a heavy drinker and an alcoholic is not always clear. It wasn't until just lately that, in your case, I could draw to it. Second, you wouldn't have believed me, even if I had told you. And I had to admit to myself that he was right. Only through being beaten down by my own misery would I ever have accepted the term alcoholic as applied to myself. Now, however, I accepted it fully. I knew from my general reading that alcoholism was irreversible and fatal. And I knew that somewhere along the line I'd lost the power to stop drinking. Well, Doc, I said, what, what are we going to do? Well, there's nothing I can do, he said, and nothing medicine can do. However, I've heard of an organisation called Alcoholics Anonymous. That has had some success with people like yourself. They make no guarantees, and they're not always successful. But if you want to, you're free to try them. It might work. Many times in the intervening years, I have thanked God for that man. A man who had the courage to admit failure. A man who had the humility to confess that all the hard-won learning of his profession could not turn up the answer. I looked up an AA meeting and went there, alone. Here I found an ingredient that had been lacking in any other effort I had made to save myself. Here was power. Here was power to live to the end of any given day. Power to have the courage to face the next day. Power to have friends. Power to help people. Power to be sane. Power to stay sober. That was seven years ago and many AA meetings ago. And I haven't had a drink during those seven years. Moreover, I am deeply convinced that so long as I continue to strive in my bumbling way toward the principles I first encountered in the earlier chapters of this book, this remarkable power will continue to flow through me. What is this power? Well, with my friends, my AA friends, all I can say is that it's a power greater than myself. If pressed, all I can do is follow the palmist who said it long before me, be still and know that I am God. The story has a happy ending, but not of the conventional kind. I had a lot more hell to go through, but what a difference there is between going through hell without a power greater than oneself and with it. As might have been predicted, my teetering tower of worldly success collapsed. My alcoholic associates fired me, took control and ran the enterprise into bankruptcy. My alcoholic wife took up with someone else, divorced me and took with her all my remaining property. The most terrible blow of my life befell me after I'd found sobriety through AA. Perhaps the single flicker of decency that shone through the fog of my drinking days was a clumsy affection for my two children, a boy and a girl. One night my son, when he was only 16, was suddenly and tragically killed. 
The higher power was on deck to see me through. Sober. I think he's on hand to see my son through too. There have been some wonderful things too. My new wife, and I don't own any property to speak of, and the flashy successes of another day are no longer mine. But we have a baby who, if you'll pardon a little post-alcoholic sentimentality, is right out of heaven. My work is on a much deeper and more significant level than it ever was before, and I am today a fairly creative, relatively sane human being. And should I have more bad times, I know that I'll never again have to go through them alone. I like that story. I hope you enjoyed that too. I think it has a little bit of resonance with what's coming through tonight uh, from our lovely uh, fellow friend in the fellowship, um, Sean. And uh, yeah, there's a little bit of resemblance there, but uh, I'm going to put on another song. And I have to tell you, folks, it's another one my young co-star has played and chosen this evening. Uh, It's another one of Mika. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. You talk about life and talk about death and everything in between Like it's nothing and the words are easy You talk about me and talk about you and everything I do Like it's something that needs repeating I don't need an alibi or for you to realize The things we left unsaid Taking space up in our heads Making my fault Win the game Point the finger Place the blame And curse me up and down It doesn't matter now Cause I don't care If I ever talk to you again This is not about emotion I hold my breath and wonder when it'll happen Does it really matter? If half of what you said is true And half of what I didn't do could be different Would it make you better? If we forget the things we know Would we have somewhere to go? The only way is down I can see that now Cause I don't care Yeah. 
over killing it on the Mika this evening. Right, look, you are listening to AA Live Show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM. We're going to go to Sean's story now. Enjoy this, folks. It, uh, it was a really emotional time for our uh, associate that was recording this. Um, the story was very touching to him, so I hope you feel the same way. Thank you. Hi, um, I'm Sean, and I'm an alcoholic. I, um, I've had a lifetime of alcoholism and addiction. Um, I, I started using drugs at an early, early age, and that was really my, my choice was, was drugs over alcohol. It was a lot easier for me to get drugs than it was to get alcohol. But it was the same idea with with alcohol. Once um, once I sort of got into drinking, then that was really all she wrote, I suppose. And then you know the the thing I found much more difficult about alcohol was the social acceptability of it and the the availability of it. You could get it anywhere, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't frowned upon. In fact, you know it was, it was almost encouraged in a lot of circles in society. And I found that really difficult to deal with as a person with my with my addictive personality and it fairly quickly I would say I really started drinking heavily about 12 years ago and um, it sort of coincided with splitting up with my ex and and I think you know in hindsight looking back on it at this point it was it was a lot of my life I was turned upside down, really. You know, I thought that that was what life was, and that was what my whole life was going to be. And the next thing I knew, it was, it was over, and I had to figure out what is life now. And I had my daughters, and I had, um, I had to try and figure out a way to go on with life. And and um, when when everything I thought it was going to be was gone, and one of the ways I dealt with that, and very more didn't deal with that, I should say was was through alcohol i just i i used it as a crutch and um and uh, it it pretty quickly went south you know i um uh i i i started drinking to the point where it was it was no longer fun it started to get um i started to I went from being a happy drunk to being an angry drunk to being a violent drunk and to being a nasty, mean drunk. And that didn't take very long to go through all those stages. And within a couple years of starting to drink heavily, I was affecting all of my relationships. Um, it, you know, long story short, it, it ended. It ended uh, at least three significant relationships. And and the funny thing was, I knew it was going on. I knew that I was an alcoholic. I knew that it was a poison for me, and it, and and I knew how badly it was affecting me, and I knew how much it was hurting me and all the people that I loved, all the people around me. It was it was hurting everyone, and yet, even knowing that, consciously knowing that, I I I, I guess I didn't care. I I think really if I'm honest I think I was trying to kill myself I think I was 
I think I, I didn't, I didn't want to live at that point. I, and I didn't consciously want to kill myself until later, but I think that was my way of slowly poisoning myself and, and alienating myself because that was one big effect of alcohol was it, it, it alienated me from everyone. And I started drinking with other people, going out on the weekends, and we would, you know, go out to clubs and drink and dance and whatnot, and very quickly progressed from that to <laughs> just being sitting at home in my shed every day by myself, getting drunk. And I mean, I, I say it as if it happened overnight, but it didn't happen overnight. It happened, you know, it happened over a matter of years, but it was a matter of years of drinking every single day and progressively getting worse and worse and worse. Progressively going slightly more insane and, and, and depressed and feeling alone and that there was no one there, no one no one, there was no one there. It was, I, I was by myself and I, I did that on purpose. I, I made that happen. I, I pushed everyone away. I was, I was mean to people. I was mean to the people that I loved the most. I was the most mean to the people that I loved the most. It was horrible. Absolutely horrible. And, um, eventually I succeeded in what I was trying to do. Eventually, I, I, I pushed everyone away. I had no friends. My partner at the time finally left me. She put up with me a lot longer than she should have. And she put up with me a lot longer than, than I deserved to be put up with. And I, and I repaid her by just being terrible to her in return. And um, so... I went through a few periods of trying to quit. I went to AA twice before, and, and, and both of those times, looking back, both of those times, I, I wasn't doing it for myself. I, was, I had gotten myself into a pickle with uh, an ex of mine or with my kids or whatever had happened to be, and I thought, okay, I made a promise that I would quit drinking and that promise led me to AA, and yet I'd, I, I, I guess I didn't really want to stop at that time. I was, I, I, I wanted to stop to try and salvage something that I was trying to sabotage all along, but I didn't want to stop for me. And you know, I've, I'd heard so many times people saying, "Oh, you know, you're never going to stop until you want to stop. You never, you can't stop for anyone else. You got to stop for yourself." And you know, I'd heard that, but I didn't really know what it meant. And then, and then, when I was trying to stop for someone else or to salvage a relationship, then um, uh, it it didn't work. Even though it didn't work for me at the time, um, when I went to AA, I realized there was something special about AA, uh, something that it touched me that it felt like a place that where people understood me and where I could, I could say things without being judged and I could get, I could get, it wasn't even sympathy. It was under, it was understanding. It was, 
it was sympathy as well, but it was mostly the understanding. And because I had been through the years, I've been to any number of counselors, you know, just regular counselors and, and therapists, um, drug and alcohol counselors. Um, I've been to group sessions, things like that. Um, and I never really got anything out of any of those quote unquote professionals. Um, and, and, you know, I think the main reason was cause I, deep down inside, I always felt like I was the job to them. You know, I was their, I was their profession and they didn't really care about me and they didn't really get me either. I mean, I think they probably understood me in an academic sense, but they didn't live what I lived and they, they couldn't, they couldn't relate to me. And that was, that was the difference with AA is I was in a whole room full of people and every single one of them, when they, I could tell when they shared and I listened to what they said, every, I could, I understood every single one of them. You know, the details might've been different and, and there might've been the odd thing that I couldn't relate to, but on the whole, these were my people and they, they, they got me and they supported me. And I found even, even when I, the first two times I went to AA and, and, and I stopped going, I always felt it was, it was always, a it was always, um, soothing. It was always, it was, it was always a help. It was always, it was always something that gave me hope when I saw people that were like me, when I saw my people that were, had gotten better and I saw that there was a, there was a chance to get better. And so I always kept that with me, even though I went back to drinking both of those times. And then, uh, the last time, so, I mean, the, the second time I went would have been, what was that? That would have been about four years ago. And then I stopped going. You know, I went for maybe a month. I went to maybe, I don't know, five or six meetings. And then I stopped going. Immediately started drinking again. Immediately started messing my life up again. And worse, you know. It just, I, I, I picked up right where I left off and then it just immediately got worse. And then I went for four more years, roughly, I think it was about four more years of the worst four years of my life. Literally, I can say hand on heart, the worst four years of my entire life. And that was when I stopped trying to in a roundabout way, kill myself and actively wanting to kill myself, making plans, um, putting things in motion to kill myself. I was, I was done with it. I, I, I think I thought there's nothing left for me. I, I was, I had driven away both my daughters. I was on the, I was on the verge of driving away my partner who I had been with for years. And, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't, I didn't want to help myself. I, I, I wanted to die. 
And uh, it all came to a head when finally my partner chucked me. You know, she finally, she finally let me go. And hey man, if I was her, I would have let me go years before. But she stuck with me because she's, uh, you know, as my sponsor says, us alcoholics, we get the best women, and she's one of them. And um, so she she eventually left me because she had to start thinking about herself because I was I was dragging her down with me. And um, she recognized that. And and um, and in fact, you know, the funny thing is, she thought for the last two years I had promised her I was going to stop drinking. And I had lied to her for two years that I, that I had stopped drinking. I was drinking every single day in secret. No one knew I was drinking. Everyone thought I had quit drinking. And I was drinking every single day, blackout drunk every single day. I was, I was, I was centering my life of lies around drinking. I, 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 I just made it. I, I, I lied to everyone just so I could drink. Uh, bluntly, that's that's what my life had become. And uh, she, my partner just thought I was crazy and a and a jerk, which I was. I was crazy and a jerk, but I was an alcoholic crazy jerk, and that was the part she didn't know about. So finally, she she couldn't deal with it anymore, and she left me. And that was that was it for me. You know, that was that was um, that was when my plan was going to come into action. You know, um, and. Um, Without getting into the details, uh, police got involved, um, and I was served a, um, I got served by a, a, a cop, and um, for something I'm not going to really get into. But um, coincidentally, this is this is a funny thing because uh, at this stage in my in my journey with the twelve steps, I'm sort of. I'm, I'm trying to come to terms with my higher power and understanding what my higher power is and how I can create a relationship with my higher power. But th this is part of it that makes me think that there is a higher power. That morning where, the, where this all happened, I woke up and the first thing I said to myself that morning, I woke up and things were at a, a deep, dark low. And the, and I said to myself, the first thing I said to myself when I woke up that morning, I said, either I'm going to kill myself today or I'm going to stop drinking. And I didn't know which way I was going to go. I, I, I knew one of those two was going to happen that day because I couldn't keep living and drinking. I just, I could not do it. Welcome back to AA Live Show in association with our friends from Otago Access Radio on 105.4 FM. We're just going to take a quick break and go to a song.
I hope you enjoyed that and it gave you enough time to go and get a cup of tea. Let's continue on with Sean's story. So I, I, I gave myself an ultimatum that morning. And then um, I went to work because, I mean, through all this, I was what they, I guess, quote, call a, you know, I was termed a, a functioning alcoholic. I, I held down a job. I didn't hold, hold down any relationships. I pushed everyone away, but I held down a job some strange way. And so I got up and I went to work that morning and um, I'd been at work about an hour. And this was weighing heavily on my mind. I was, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do when I went home. I didn't know. I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I had a choice and I was, I was lost. And then about an hour into work that day, I got a phone call and it was a cop, a guy named Liam. And he said, hi, um, I need to serve you these papers. Um, and I thought I'd give you a call because I figured you probably don't want me to show up at your work. Um, and I wanted to give you the opportunity to come down and, and, uh, come down to the police station and I can serve you here. So, um, I don't have to go to your work. I said, I said, I, I really appreciate that. And, um, I said, I'll be down there in half an hour. So I walked down to the police station and, uh, I asked for Liam and he came and he served me the papers. He explained to me what, what it meant and what it was, what I had to do. And something about this guy, um, it sounds goofy. It still sounds goofy to me to say it out loud, but I, I truly believe he was kind of like a guardian angel to me. I get really emotional when I think about him. Because he, you know, all he had to do, his job was to give me these papers and... <laughs> And he could have quite easily just looked at me and <laughs> thought the worst of me, you know? But he didn't do that. He looked at me and he was compassionate. And he asked me how I was doing, you know? He didn't, he didn't judge me because of what he was serving me the papers for. He asked me how I was. And I, uh, I just broke down crying right in the lobby of the main police station. You know, I just started bawling my head out and I was telling him what was going on in my life. He was the first person in years that I admitted, I admitted my alcohol problem to. Like I said, everyone else thought I was sober and just crazy. And I told him what was going on and I don't know why I told him. It was just because he was, I just felt like I could tell him. And um, he put me in touch with some people that could help me. And um, he also recommended I go back to AA and he gave me some phone numbers. And he was just a light, you know, he was just, he was just a light in like a life of darkness. And 
In fact, even when I went home that day, I got home from work, and I was thinking about him, and I got a text from a random phone number, and it was Liam, and it was like, it wasn't his police phone number, because that's what he had called me on before. Um, it was his private phone number, and he said, hi, Sean, you know, this is Liam, and this is my private number, and I just wanted to let you know that, you know, um, if you ever need to talk to someone, you can call me. And he extended an invitation to go to his church, which I kind of laughed at, but I went, you know, and um, I'm not a religious person. Um, but I went, and I still didn't get into it, to be honest with you. You know, it was still it was still the Christianity that I have so many issues with. And um, but, but it didn't matter because it was, you know, it was... It was full of love and, you know, and it was full of like hope and he cared about me, you know, even when I didn't even care about myself and he didn't even know me. And I credit him with me deciding not to kill myself that day because he was like the only ray of hope in a long time. And that night, I went online and I saw where there was a AA meeting. And the AA meeting was two blocks from my house. And I just, it was just like everything was lining up. And I said, man, I guess I'm going to quit drinking. I guess I'm not going to kill myself. So I went to a meeting that night and I broke down at that meeting as well. And I'm breaking down right now. Jeez, this is... <laughs> I don't often get this emotional, but thinking about it, it's bringing me right back to that feeling. And yeah, that was the last time I drank. And that was today is 200 days of sobriety. I haven't had a drink in 200 days. And I go to two meetings oh, just about every week. I almost never miss my two meetings. I've got a sponsor. I'm starting to, my head is, <laughs> I'm, I can say hand on heart, my, I'm a different person now. It's like, I'm clear. I, I, I can, I'm happy. I'm, I feel like I, I can see a future. I feel like I have a life. I feel like, I feel like I don't deserve it. I feel like I deserve to be dead, but I, something smiled on me and just led me out of it. And I'm here today and I'm thankful. I didn't think I could ever do it. And it's still, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I've done it because I could still go back to drinking any day, you know? I, know. I realize that. I know that. But I think that as long as I keep going to meetings, as long as I keep working on myself with my sponsor, as long as I keep progressing and getting better, I think I'll be all right. And um, I'm just thankful. I'm, I'm, I'm happy and I'm thankful. And that's my story. 
It has been a pleasure spending the evening with you tonight and I'd like to thank our friend in the fellowship for sharing his story with us. And thank you to you all for spending the evening with us and uh, coming and, you know, sharing your night. Thank you. In Dunedin, folks, we have 14 meetings a week. We've got lunchtime and evening meetings. So please jump on the website of aa.org.nz. You will find meetings listed there for across the country, wherever you may be. Uh, In New Zealand, that is, for our overseas listeners. Probably you might be able to actually jump on there and you'll see the Zoom meetings as well. So, yeah, there's... In-person meetings, Zoom meetings, you can um, jump on there and have a look. If you need to reach out for help, uh, please do not hesitate to call us on 0800 AA Works. That's 0800 229 6757. This phone line is operated by us, by alcoholics. Um, We're here for other alcoholics. So we can help. We can guide you to the right meetings. We can come and 12-step you. Please give us a call. It's um, 0800 AA Works. That's 0800-229-6757. We also have a web address here in Otago, which is www.aaotago.nz. Yeah, we're going to finish with a song this evening. It's a it's a long one, but I think it's a goodie. Um, it's a little bit of uh, Simple Minds, and it's the Belfast Child. So take care of yourselves out there, everybody. Until next time, Matiwa.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.